Before I start this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph which adorns the cover art. Let's crack on. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Chris Kirkbride. There's a good range of news across all the usual sectors this week, with money laundering and cyber attack news at the head of the queue. As usual, I've linked the main stories flagged in the podcast description. Now we'll start with sanctions. To Europe, where there's been a decent amount of activity, even if they're, I suppose individually, quite minor stories. First, the European Union has agreed sanctions designed to target those concerned in the war in Sudan, imposing designations and travel bans. In Norway, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs has announced a ban on Russian registered passenger vehicles with nine or fewer seats. The ban will be implemented in coming weeks. Now, back to the European Union, where the European Parliament has adopted a resolution calling for the European Union to sanction Azerbaijani officials and condemning Azerbaijan's seizure of Nagorno-Karabakh. Link to the press release from the Parliament website is in the podcast description. Now, the final piece of news from Europe is that Damon Shipyards Group, NV, the largest shipbuilder in the Netherlands, has initiated proceedings against the Dutch government, for losses which it has suffered because of the imposition of sanctions against Russia. It'll be interesting to see how this goes, if anywhere. In recent weeks, there have been instances of a range of jurisdictions where oligarchs have challenged sanctioned status, and now it's the turn of Australia, where Oleg Deripaska has initiated court proceedings to have his designation overturned. Deripaska denies that he has been, quote, engaging in an activity or performing a function that is of economic or strategic significance to Russia. Keep tabs on that story. In the United Nations this week, an entry has been removed from Sanctions Resolution 1518. The entry removed is that of Walid Hamid Taufik al-Nasiri, who was a member of Saddam Hussein's administration up to the coalition invasion of Ukraine in 2003. It's not entirely clear why he's been removed, certainly from the research I was able to carry out. Couldn't find anything as to why. Anyway, the link's in the podcast description, and there's only a limited amount of detail in it anyway. In the UK, following suit, the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation has removed Al Nasiri from its list of designated persons, and the link to that announcement, again with no explanation why, is also in the podcast description. Finally, this week on sanctions in the UK, Offsi has launched its outreach satisfaction survey, and just before they all went home for the weekend, it issued a license to allow UK designated persons or those acting on behalf of a designated person to make permitted payments to Companies House. Links to both are in the podcast description. Now, that's it for sanctions news. Let's move to fraud news now. Begins in the UK, where a former employee of NatWest has been sentenced to five and a half years in prison for fraud by abusive position and money laundering. 
Said Hussein used his employee code to access the accounts of individuals likely to have significant sums on deposit. The UK finance trade body press release takes up the story. It provides, quotes, Hussein used the stolen information to order new bank cards and used some of the proceeds of crime to buy and sell high-value items such as watches and drones. In addition, Hussein facilitated fraudulent transactions by monitoring customer accounts and sharing the personal details with members of an organised crime group, enabling other individuals to commit fraud. Evidence highlighted through CCTV footage showed others involved in the fraud attending the branch, falsely claiming to be genuine customers and fraudulently withdrawing funds from those accounts. Links to the UK Finance press release can be found in the podcast description. To the insolvency service in the UK, which has announced that an individual who abused the bounce-back loan scheme, yep, we're back on COVID relief schemes again, has been ordered to repay just over £40,000. Grisha Valchev was a director of Healthy and Tasty Limited, a North London-based gift company selling fruit baskets, chocolates, hampers and flowers. He provided false information to claim the maximum bounce-back loan amount of £50,000 in May 2020. The company's actual turnover, on which the loan should have been based, was around £35,400, which meant Healthy and Tasty Limited was entitled to less than £9,000 and had ultimately received more than five times in that amount. The other piece of news from the insolvency service is an announcement that the official receiver has recovered over £2 million for the victims of an investment scam perpetrated by convicted fraudster John Gerard Metcalf. Link to both press releases can be found in the podcast description. To money laundering news now, and there is a decent wedge of money laundering news this week. We'll start with an update on last week's story from France relating to the investigation into alleged money laundering wrongdoing by Bernard Arnault, the French billionaire. Well, this week, spokespersons for Arnault have denied the allegations, describing them variously as absurd and senseless. The investigation nevertheless continues. In the United Kingdom, the Financial Conduct Authority has fined ADM, Investor Services International, almost £6.5 million for financial crime failings. From 30th of September 2014 to 31st October 2016, the firm first failed to comply with regulatory and legal anti-money laundering obligations relating to the design, implementation and maintenance of adequate systems and controls to mitigate its money laundering risk. Secondly, that it failed to make good on weaknesses identified by the FCA in 2014 and yet Despite these identified failings, the shortcomings were still present during a 2016 assessment. Matters were, however, resolved to the satisfaction of the FCA by October 2016, particularly in respect of a suite of AML policies and procedures put in place as required by the FCA in areas, for example, of enhanced due diligence and politically exposed persons. Since the firm accepted the FCA's findings, it qualified for a 30% settlement discount on a financial penalty, which would otherwise have been £9,243,738. Link to the press release and the final notice are in the podcast description. Sticking with the UK, bodies have published their responses to Her Maj- uh, His Majesty's Treasury's consultation document, Reform of the anti money laundering and counter-terrorism financing supervisory regime. 
The Legal Services Board has published its response to the consultation, stating that it would be the most appropriate body to undertake the role of supervisor in the new supervisory structure proposed. By contrast, the Bar Council has suggested that OPBAS should be retained, but with amplified powers, OPBAS Plus, as they label it. The consultation closed on the 30th of September, and the government's response is awaited. Links in the podcast description. And finally, on fraud this week in the US, the Department of Justice has announced Ian Freeman has been sentenced to eight years imprisonment for laundering the proceeds of romance scams and other internet frauds. Link is in the podcast description. Now to bribery and corruption, where there was a flurry of activity towards the end of the week. Uh, We'll start in the UK with a follow-up story to a story we looked at earlier. You may recall that we reported that Uh, recently that the UK Supreme Court had given the green light to an action by the government of Mozambique, or the government, against parties which it alleged were concerned in a scheme of bribery under which the government ultimately provided a guarantee. Well, it was widely reported this week that UBS, one of the parties to the litigation, because it bought out Credit Suisse, as I'll say in a moment, had its legal team working hard to seek a deal with the government to avert the litigation, and it would seem that they deserve all of their fees because the government has settled its claim with UBS. As I said, it was actually Credit Suisse, but uh, that was purchased by UBS to save a bit of face earlier uh, earlier this year, I think. In further news related to this litigation, the government announced that it was no longer pursuing part of its claim against shipbuilder Prininvest and its owner Iskander Safa for macroeconomic loss. In the US, the mayor of the city of Inkster, Patrick Wimberley has been charged with bribery. The charges relate to the sale of property owned by the city under which Wimberley is alleged to have insisted on payments of increasing value being made to him. Link to the Department of Justice press release is in the podcast description. Now, over to Europe. And the Group of States Against Corruption of the Council of Europe, or Greco as it's sometimes called, has published its evaluation report on Cyprus. The objective, quotes of the report, is to evaluate the effectiveness of the measures adopted by the authorities of Cyprus to prevent corruption and promote integrity in central governments, top executive functions and law enforcement agencies. While legislation has some strong features on paper, its effectiveness is compromised by institutional flaws, including the proliferation of committees with little coordination, the lack of sufficient resources, expertise and authority, the lack of independence, as well as the lack of efficient cooperation and checks and balance mechanisms. Cyprus needs a stronger system of accountability in government to prevent risks of undue influence. Additional steps are also necessary regarding access to information. Uh, Additionally, Cyprus has a presidential system. Accordingly, the president is vested with broad executive powers and is thus considered a person with top executive functions. There's no system for, or these are called, these are initialized as PTEFs, P-T-E-Fs. There's no system for analyzing major corruption risk factors facing PTEFs in a strategic manner, nor to subject PTEFs to integrity background checks prior to their appointment. As for law enforcement, the level of trust in the police is lower than in most other European Union members, which calls for substantial improvements. 
There is no integrity risk assessment nor a strategic compilation of data which would help identify vulnerabilities within the force so that these can be managed or mitigated. Link to the full report is in the podcast description. And the final piece of bribery and anti-corruption news this week comes from comments made by Justin Addison, the UK delegation to the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe, or OSCE, who stated that despite the pressure on the Ukrainians from the invasion, there remains an opportunity for Ukraine to address the issue of corruption in its political and other systems. Link to the short commentary is in the podcast description. Now... A brief detour into market abuse before we launch headlong into this week's cyber attack news. The US has this week announced the formation of the Corporate and Securities Fraud Strike Force. Quotes, Working with authorities at federal law enforcement agencies, the Corporate and Securities Fraud Strike Force is designed to expand and prioritize complex corporate and securities fraud investigations, some of which will involve corporate executives and other individuals involved in criminal conduct. Members of the strike force will examine accounting fraud, insider trading and other matters that can directly impact the financial system and trading markets. The strike force will also examine criminal violations of the Bank Secrecy Act, which is designed to combat money laundering and tax evasion. Link to the announcement is in the podcast description. Now we end this week's edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast by looking at this week's cyber attack news. And there's been quite a bit of it, to be honest. It's been a bumper week for cyber attack news. Anyway, we'll start with a look back to the cyber attack, which we talked about last week on the UK haulage firm KNP Logistics Group. Well, this week, the BBC has published a story on the human impact of the cyber attack by talking to some of the drivers made redundant. They've been left without money and now look for work. In fact, some of them haven't been paid. I've put the link to the podcast in the podcast description if you're interested in reading it. Staying in the UK, the website of the Royal Family has been disrupted this week by a distributed denial of service attack or DDoS attack. It was back online relatively quickly, but with amplified security protocols. Like a mobile, the SIM-only mobile provider has announced that it is the victim of a cyber attack While details are limited at this early stage, some have suggested in the media this could be a ransomware attack. However, that's purely speculative because there really is a lack of any kind of detailed information, I guess. We wait for more on that. In more, I suppose, sort of tech-related cyber attack news, Sony has announced that the personal information of almost 7,000 current and former employees has been compromised following the cyber attack which it suffered in June this year. In Finland, a number of websites have been taken down this week because of reported distributed denial-of-services attacks. Those sites affected included the Bank of Finland, the Tax Administration and a couple of newspapers. No detail on the perpetrator as yes, although given Finland's proximity to a certain country that is known for cyber attacks, it could well have something to do with it. Now, a couple of things to direct you towards. The first is the Information and Commissioner's Office in the UK, which has announced a consultation on new draft guidance about how the ICO, that's the Information Commissioner's Office, decides to issue penalty notices and calculate fines under the UK General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, and the Data Protection Act 2018. The link to the consultation document and the speech where the Information Commissioner John Edward 
mentions the consultation and other data protection matters when opening the Data Protection Practitioners Conference, which is not easy to say. The Data Protection Practitioners Conference 2023 this week, they're all in the podcast description. Now we'll stick with the UK. And in fact, it's the UK and US which chaired an international dialogue to advance cyber support for groups that strengthen democracy. The participating countries, Australia, Canada, Estonia, France, Japan, New Zealand, Norway, the UK and the US, quotes, committed to identifying ways to support the cybersecurity of these communities in the face of authoritarian governments increasingly using cyber means to target them. Communities identified as being at higher risk include individuals working in politics, including elected officials such as MPs, journalists, academics, lawyers, dissidents, and those sanctioned by foreign states. Link to the announcement is in the podcast description. On the subject of international cooperation, NATO is investigating whether a cyber attack group, Sigedsec, not sure how that's pronounced, but that's the go I'm giving it anyway, has breached its systems and leaked class- unclassified documents, unclassified documents online. No definitive information on the perpetrator, but I wouldn't be surprised if they rounded up all the usual suspects. I end this week's Financial Crime Weekly Podcast by directing you to more reading. First, arising out of a discussion in New York State on the topic of cyber attacks and the Rome Statute. The link to that post is in the podcast description. And secondly, Moody's, the credit rating agency, has published the results of its annual cyber survey. The 90-question survey of around 1,700 market participants indicates that while spending has increased on cyber risk management, the most advanced in terms of sophistication, that is the most advanced forms of risk management, are really beyond the budget of a significant number of firms. The link to that report is also in the podcast description. Well, that's that's it for this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being well, next week with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a genuinely great week, everyone.